If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. We'll look at verses 7 and 8. Um, so let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask for your help as we consider your word this morning. We want to learn better how to, how to pray to you and um, how to dwell in your presence. These are things that seem like they should um, delight us, and we wish that they came more naturally to us, but, um, but alas, they don't. And so we need your help. We need to be changed into the kind of people who pray because we have a deep relationship with you. We ask for that uh, this morning. We ask for your Spirit's help as we enter your word uh, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So, um, this will be our last week of introductory sermons leading into the, um, the Lord's Prayer. The text, is, uh, the text of the Lord's Prayer, which we recite most Sundays during our prayers, um, we're going to get into that uh, more properly next week. But, um, you know, we're learning how to pray as Jesus taught his disciples. And, um, and so we need kind of some of this introductory material that Jesus uh, goes into right before he gives uh, the Lord's Prayer. And maybe it's strange, but um, maybe it seems strange, but learning how to pray as Jesus taught his disciples doesn't really involve um, any particular kind of how-tos. I think that's what our text is about this morning. How-to books, um, really popular if you go into that, uh, that office store formerly known as Kinko's. What's the uh, FedEx? FedEx office is the name of it now. You see the rack. They've got racks of kind of self-help books, right? Or go into your uh, bookstore if there are any of those left in the real world. If they're not all online, you see this big old self-help section. And you find books in there, um, how to get a job, right? How to impress people, how to uh, find happiness in your marriage, how to uh, raise your children, how to get out of debt, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's pretty... Um, common type of book that people love to read, how to do this with step-by-step instructions, right? How to succeed in these various things. Um, and there are plenty of spiritual equivalents in the, um, in the Christian sections of these bookstores or uh, in the Christian bookstores, you know, how to have your best life now, how to grow your church, how to get people to exercise their spiritual gifts, how to run a building program, uh, how to do evangelism. I had a friend who um, went through some evangelism training, and you know, evangelism training these days is supposed to focus on how to have authentic, relational, conversational type of evangelism. And one of the how-to steps in this evangelism was pay the person a sincere compliment. <laughs> it was a kind of instruction for how to have this kind of relational, genuine, authentic evangelism. Um, how to do evangelism. How to pray, right? How to pray. There is a book called Christian Prayer for Dummies. And um, if you look on the, the website, one of the sales points of it, it says, you'll see how to overcome hindrances, how to use a prayer journal, 
and how to pray on your own. Maybe that's going to be helpful. Um, I don't know. It's just it's techniques, right? How to methods, templates. And Jesus says in our text, you know all those how-to methods that the Gentiles use? Yeah, scrap all those. They don't know what they're talking about. That's kind of at the heart of uh, the text this morning. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That heap up empty phrases probably translated differently in all of our uh, versions of the text. It's, it's kind of a new word that Jesus made up. It's basically babbling. You know, don't, don't babble. Don't, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So for some reason, this, um, this kind of connects with us, right? Uh, we, this sounds right, sounds good to us, but, but we constantly struggle with feeling inadequate in prayer, don't we? We constantly struggle with feeling inadequate. And we think that if I'm going to become adequate in prayer, whatever that means, then... Um, it means I'll have to improve my technique. That's what we think of when we want to get better at prayer, develop better technique, basically. Um, maybe I'll, if I pray long enough, if I pray frequently enough, if I pray persistently enough, then I'll feel good about my prayers. I'll be able to know that God really hears them. If I pray only with positive thoughts, if I visualize an answer to my prayers, then I'll receive what I ask from God. Or... Uh, if I just pray out loud all the time, like they used to in the Bible, then I won't feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the inside of my skull, that they'll, uh, they'll actually connect with God. If I can muster up enough tears, enough uh, urgency, if I can muster up enough prayer partners, if I can muster up just the right phrases, if I can muster up fill-in-the-blank then that's real prayer, the kind that God responds to. It's not exactly clear how the Gentiles were praying here when Jesus said, don't do it like them. Right? Uh, whether they're, they're searching for magical phrases to kind of unlock divine power or, uh, or chanting in a rote, repetitive fashion. Or maybe they're just going on and on re uh, rephrasing their requests in as many ways as possible to make sure they get the point across, right? Whatever it was, even if our practice isn't identical to what they were doing exactly, um, I think we can relate. Basically, the concept is if I perfect my form, if I get the right formula, then my prayers will be truly effective and God will answer them. Maybe even he'll have to answer them. Now, of course, if you're a good Christian, you'd never say that out loud, but, um, but come on, you know that you feel that way. I know I do. Um, but what does that say about our relationship with God? I think it uh, turns God into you know, a vending machine, right? If I can find just the right coin to drop in, then out comes what I want. Prayer then becomes merely transactional rather than uh, truly relational. And maybe that's not really a conscious decision that you've made to view your prayer life and your relationship with God that way, but I think that's just automatic for us because our default kind of operating mode is unbelief. 
unbelief. And I, I think that's what uh, Jesus is addressing here. Uh, it's unbelief. He says, don't, don't babble like the Gentiles do. Gentiles, it's not just don't babble like the non-Jews, right? Uh, like this ethnic group over here. He's, he's highlighting the characteristic of their prayer, which is unbelief. Don't babble like the unbelievers do. Uh, and it doesn't come naturally to us to believe that God is a person. That's right? at least partly because he's invisible. And it's kind of hard to imagine as a person someone that you can't see, right? that you, you could never see if you looked for him all over the earth, right? Uh, he's invisible. That makes it difficult for us to consider God uh, as a person. But it's also because he's God, right? Not just being invisible, but the fact that he transcends our concepts of being and personality. In fact, he so far uh, surpasses our understanding that it's difficult not to just think abstractly about God like the way the philosophers do. Abstractly about his Trinitarian being. Abstractly about his eternality, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience. These are not words we usually apply to one another in our relationships with other people, right? Um, These are hard for us to understand. What we need to do is be strengthened in our faith that God is a person who has revealed himself to us for a relationship. He's personal. God is personal. God is relational. He gets angry at injustices. He takes delight in things that are beautiful. He is personal and he is relational. He's mysterious, and we can't understand all of his ways, but how is that unlike other people in our lives? I think if you're a person, maybe being mysterious is um, is part of that. Personality and relationality are, in fact, mysterious things. but, But we don't come to God with kind of advanced prayer technology to try to fool him or force him to respond how we would like, right? Because he's a person, we plead with him as with a person, right? A person with whom we have a close relationship. Prayer should be a conversation. So prayer is not like the modern concept. Um, If you want to highlight what Gentiles pray like these days, um, it's not like the modern concept of meditation, right? Where the goal is silence and an empty mind. It's a common concept of prayer, uh, prayer and meditation. When you're trying to have a conversation with your spouse, is it helpful if one of you enters kind of a trance and is unresponsive, empty mind, blank look on your face, maybe a slight smile? Um, And prayer isn't sending out positive thoughts or positive energy, right? Uh, What does that even mean? Like, I... I have family members, I have a bunch of Facebook friends who apparently know what that means because they they say that all the time. Um, we're sending positive thoughts your way, right? <laughs> positive energies coming across the country to you. <laughs> That's not prayer, right? Um, where is the relationality, the Godward relationality in that kind of prayer? Where's the relationality in things like prayer flags, or incantations, or magical phrases. Those are, 
Those are methods, they're technologies that are actually antithetical to relational prayer. Right? If you have these things, they're working against viewing prayer uh, relationally as with a person. Right? There are some methods that aren't just antithetical in themselves to relational prayer, but we need to know that they're still just methods, right? Staying up late to pray isn't a bad thing, but if it's a method of transaction rather than relationship, then it is unhelpful. When was the last time you told a good friend of yours, hey, you know what we really need to do is talk by candlelight at midnight, Right. on our knees in the closet. That, then we'll be really close. Right? That's, not, that's not a natural way to have a relationship with somebody. Um, Jesus isn't forbidding long prayers here. He prayed at length in Luke chapter 6. It says, He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. He's not forbidding re- repetitive prayers. Uh, have you ever read Psalm 136? His steadfast love endures forever. 26 times uh, in that psalm? Or do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying to his father? uh, And one, two, three times he prayed. He prayed for the third time saying the same words again. So he's not forbidding um, repetition in prayer. But for Jesus, these are examples of deeply relational prayer, right? It's, it's empty repetition that's the problem. In fact, this is, I think this is a temptation for us even when we're using the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Um, of all the prayers that you pray on a regular basis, which one are you most tempted to turn into just a rote repetition where you're not thinking about the words? Right? We've said it so many thousands of times. Do we even think about what we're saying when we pray using the words that our Savior taught us? Or has it become just a formula? It's okay to use written prayers. It's okay to have a prayer list. It's okay to keep a prayer journal, have a prayer hour, email a prayer chain, whatever. We're just supposed to use these methods in relational ways. Form isn't the thing. The heart is the thing. The point is that prayer is supposed to be uh, genuine and relational, right? Not rote, not manipulative techniques. And our prayer is helped by believing in God as a person. So that, uh, that quote at the beginning of the bulletin there by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, let me read that. You don't go and just turn a wheel. You don't just count the beads. You don't say, I must spend hours in prayer. I have decided to do it, and I must do it. You don't say that the way to get a blessing is to spend whole nights in prayer and that because people will not do so, they cannot expect blessing. We must get rid of this mathematical notion of prayer. What we have to do, first of all, is realize who God is, what he is, and our relationship to him. As the father cares for the child and looks at the child and is concerned about the child and anticipates the needs of the child, so is God with respect to all those who are in Christ Jesus. He desires to bless us very much more than we desire to be blessed. So our prayer is helped by believing that God is a person, and not just any person, right? Our loving Father. Jesus said, 
Don't be like the unbelievers in their prayer. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The Gentiles, the unbelievers, for all their prayer technology, they don't view God as a person. They don't view God as a Father who cares for them and knows their needs. When you pray, you are bringing your needs to your Father seeking His help. Now, this verse uh, brings up something that we often have difficulty with. If my Father knows what I need before I ask, why even ask? If God is truly omniscient, all-knowing, be sovereign over everything, then I don't need to pray. It won't change anything, right? That's not at all what Jesus is suggesting here. Um, He's saying it this way. There's no need for you to try to manipulate God with your prayers. To try to get the right technique to make God do this in response. To spin your requests to make them seem more appealing to him. He already knows what you need. Right? You know how a child uh, will start spinning, trying to get across why the parents should grant what he's about to ask them. Right? Hey, Dad, you know how you, were, you said you were wanting to spend more time together? And, uh, and how you have today off and how it's a really nice day and you know, the beach isn't that far. Right? It's probably pretty nice at the beach. <laughs> the father says... Son, did you rehearse that? Right. I know you want to go to the beach. Why don't you just say you want to go to the beach? Our Father knows our deepest needs better than we do. And that's a great encouragement to the psalmist in Psalm 139, our Old Testament reading. Right? Some of the verses from there. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God, you've intimately and lovingly known me before I was even formed. Your love and care are so great that no matter where I go, no matter what kind of trouble I get myself into, when the darkness is closing around me, you are still with me. You still see and you know and you care. God's knowledge of us, his foreknowledge is a tremendous comfort to us. His watchfulness is an assurance of his fatherly love. He knows our deepest needs better than we do. We accomplish nothing by then dancing around with our various prayer techniques, trying to get it just right so that he'll answer us. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But uh, it is worth tackling the, the question briefly anyway if God is sovereign. And God knows what you need, then why pray? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's a matter of faith, isn't it? it? It could be a very convoluted philosophical discussion if you want to have that. We could have that over coffee afterwards. Um, but the Bible teaches us both things God has a plan to control the universe. And God commands us to pray and tells us that he responds to our prayers. We know that both things are true. It is beyond us to know how both things are true. But just because something is beyond our understanding doesn't mean it's not true. We are finite creatures. You're willing to admit that much, right? (laughs) 
And uh, as a friend of mine says, there is a massive wisdom deferential between God and us. There is a massive wisdom deferential between God and us. Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, says the Lord. So it is totally legitimate to say, I don't know how this works, and to leave it at that. But you cannot say, because the Bible says God is control, uh, God is in control, I, I don't need to pray. And you cannot say, because God tells me to pray, he must not really be in control. Right? Neither of those things is true biblically. God is in control, and we are supposed to pray because it matters. But we do know a few things about prayer, uh, don't we? It's, uh, it's good for us. It's it's good for our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We get to know Him, and we get to know ourselves more deeply as we pray. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 154, says that the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to His church the benefits of His mediation, the benefits of His salvation, are all of His ordinances, especially the Word, sacraments, and prayer. So this is the means of grace, the way God communicates his grace to us, the way he changes our lives, especially takes place through the word, the reading and the preaching of the word, through the sacraments, and through prayer. Prayer is a way God connects with us, the way that he uh, distributes his grace to us and changes us. God uses prayer to shape our thoughts, to change us, to sanctify us. And maybe more often than not, that as we bring our requests to God, as they are, that he teaches us obedience, and he teaches us submission, and he changes our requests, doesn't he, to align more with his will. That's what he teaches us in prayer a lot of the times. That seems to be actually an explicit function of the Lord's Prayer, teaching us to pray for his will to be done which causes us to assess whether our own desires are actually in accordance with that, with his will. He teaches us to be more dependent on him, more thankful to him. And for some uh, strange reason, this seems to be especially true as we receive apparent silence in response to our prayers. He teaches us a lot when we pray and we don't seem to hear anything back. If he's our loving father, if he knows what we need, then why does he always seem so reluctant to answer our requests? The gospel says, Jesus himself says, he is your father. He is not reluctant to bless his children. In fact, he's out for your good more than you are yourself. Even though you may not understand why he's answering the prayers Uh, your prayers the way he is, you need to believe that he wants good for you, right? It goes back to that massive wisdom deferential between uh, between God and you, and sometimes that's all you've got to go on, right? It's like a child in a doctor's office, common experience for many of us, child begging his mother with tears, 
not to let him get that shot. He doesn't understand that the shot will prevent him from getting polio and that his mother is putting him through this temporary suffering out of love. He doesn't understand that. And it's actually hard for him at that point to believe that his mother loves him. You simply cannot understand all of God's reasons for his silence as a response to your desperate prayers for him to change things in your life. But you must know that his silence does not mean that he doesn't care. Right? He's not out to harm you. He's out for your good. Maybe you can't understand why God would be interested in an insignificant person like you, or maybe, uh, maybe you think poorly enough of yourself that you believe God should be out uh, to harm you. But the gospel says that even though you are an insignificant sinner, God has showered his love upon you through Jesus, and he's not going to take back the commitment that he has made to your good. He is faithful to his promises to be your God, to make you ready for heaven, to be with you always, to dwell with you in love forever. He's given his only beloved son for your salvation. Jesus lived the life that you should have lived, but didn't. And he died on the cross, the death that you deserve to die, in your place. He took your criminal record and paid for your sins, and he gave you his own record of perfect righteousness so that you will live forever as beloved sons and daughters of God. In his life and death and resurrection, Jesus has taken away all barriers between us and the full favor of God as our good, loving Father. He's taken care of it. And if God has done all of this for you, by his grace, didn't have to do it, he wanted to do it, at the expense of the sacrifice of his own son, then you cannot believe that he doesn't care about your prayers. He may not answer the way that you hope or the way that you expect, but you've got to admit that your hopes and expectations are those of a child. He knows what's good for you better than you do, and you can be assured that he is out for your good however he decides to answer your prayers. Otherwise, all you've got is, if I say my prayer's wrong, I'm not going to get what I need. But why would you go on believing that when Jesus Christ has given himself for you to bring you into a real relationship with God as your father? Why would you go on that way? Let's pray. Lord God, we are tremendously privileged and blessed to be able to call you our father, to be able to come to you in prayer, and um, not only to enter into your presence uh, cowering and frightened, but to come boldly. You have showered your love upon us so freely through our Lord Jesus Christ that we are invited to come boldly into your presence as children do with their father who loves them. And so we pray now that you would make this more real to us in our, uh, in our regular prayer that every day we would see the relationship that we have with you and we would be delighted to run to you in prayer 
We pray that you would remove unbelief from our hearts, the unbelief that relies on tactics and methods. We think we would gain something by improving our prayer in these ways. We pray that you would just draw us close to yourself, draw us to your side, to your heart, make us to know your love for us, and give us confidence in your presence through prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.